Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Well, good morning. I hope everyone is well and has had a good week. I know that I have. So, we've um, had a good time going through Mark so far. I think we've been learning a lot. We've been learning a lot about who Jesus is. And through his teaching, I believe that we have been stretched in many, many ways. This week, I've, uh, it's been quite an interesting week. I've heard some really uh, interesting preaching. I was just listening to a few things from different uh, types of preachers and different ways that people read the Bible and preach the Bible. And in many ways, I've been uh, quite concerned because it seems like a lot of the time what we get is uh, what are sermons that are, people will take a piece of the Bible, read a verse, and then turn it into something that is purely motivational speaking. Uh, And this isn't completely a bad thing, but the question for me is, is that truthful and is that consistent with what we actually see in the Bible, with what we see in Jesus' words? And a lot of the time, the answer to that is, well, no, it's not. Sometimes it's, it's not something that's just this, you know, motivational thing about, you know, in the story of David and Goliath, uh, there's this, uh, this giant and there's this, this man, David, and, uh, you know, he defeats Goliath. And you know what? You are David, and you will defeat your Goliath. Um, good intentions with that kind of thing, but often it's not the case. In that type of story, um, we're, we're not David. Jesus is David. We're the Israelites shivering in the corner, wondering if we're about to be destroyed by this other nation, as an example. And so it got me thinking, um, you know, to stand up and open the word and and preach it is a a daunting thing. It's something that makes me quite nervous uh, because it's God's word uh, that we're going to look at and try and be faithful with it and and share that with people. Uh, in a way that is accurate. So, I say that all uh, more to prime of myself, really, and say, well, this is a, this is a, a, a big task. It's, it's a weighty task, and it is something I don't take lightly. So, uh, again, I uh, thank you for your prayers uh, this week as I've been preparing this message. Uh, I know that the Bible is in many ways a mirror that is held up to us, and it shows us that many times we're just pretty shabby-looking. Uh, but that's not where it ends. God takes us on from there, and he shows us um, so much more. So to de- today, we're going to see much of the same as we did last week. We're going to see challenging words from Jesus where he shows how the human heart is flawed. There's something wrong with it, and it doesn't respond in the way it should. But at the same time, we're going to see an amazing encouragement for those who are followers of Jesus. So today we are in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. We've heard uh, the first nine verses read already, and we're going to continue. But before I do, won't you just bow your heads and pray with me, uh, pray for me as I pray for you as well this morning. Father, we come before your word uh, humbly, uh, with awe, knowing that it is true, it is the truth. And it is life, it is the only thing that is uh, 
that is real life for us. And pray this morning that you would soften our hearts, that you would make us attentive to what it is that you have for us, Father God, that you would sow into our hearts, that we would be just so encouraged by what it is, but also we would be challenged by the words that you have for us, Lord, and that our response would not be to shy away from you, not to be ashamed in any way or guilted in any way, Lord, but to glorify you, to see this grace that you have on offer for us every day and that we would lean into you and receive it, Lord. I pray that you would, uh, in a way, hide me behind your hand, Lord, and that these would not be my words, but they would be yours, Holy Spirit, uh, as you would anoint them as they go out in some way. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Righty. Verse 1. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. So again, the Gospel of Mark, it just seems that there's movement all the time from one place to the other. We saw that Jesus was in the synagogues a little while back. He was teaching, and then he went out into the wilderness around the Sea of Galilee, and he did a bunch of ministry there with crowds following him. Uh, and then he went back into Capernaum, and there was a crowd that followed him still. And then we saw this challenging teaching from last week. And now again, he's left Capernaum, and he's back out around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is this like fast-paced, uh, almost like a movie where we're cutting scenes really quickly. It's this action movie that's going and going and going. And today, we see he's back in a boat. Uh, many say that um, he's in this boat, and as we read, it says that he was sitting. Some say, you know, this, this is the... Jesus was sitting, it's the, the, the way that teachers, that Pharisees uh, or teachers of the, the Bible uh, would, you know, back then, uh, that was their posture for teaching. And that may very well be, but at the same time, maybe it's because he was in a boat and it was rocking around. <laughs> Just the smartest thing to do is sit down. Uh, I, I think that's, that's, well, that's what I would do. Um, but the question is, what is a parable? That's the first thing we see. He was teaching them many, many things in parables. And, well, this gives us an idea, an idea of what it would have been like to sit there and hear Jesus teaching. Imagine he's there in the boat and you're sitting on the shore and he's teaching. And I always wonder, like, well, what would it have been like to sit under Jesus teaching? And today we get a, another taste of that. He's teaching using these parables that are they're stories, essentially, but they're stories that give us a spiritual truth. They take everyday examples of things to explain spiritual truths. We've seen this already uh, a few times in Mark. We saw last week already that uh, Jesus spoke of the strong man and going into the house and binding up the strong man. That's, that's in a way, it's a parable. It's using something that you know. It's this scene of the house and a burglar coming in. It's like people know that, but he's using that story to make a real spiritual truth to sow into our hearts. We saw this in uh, Mark 2.17, where there's uh, sick in need of a physician. This is a little mini parables. Uh, Mark 2.19, there's the wedding guests uh, with the bridegroom. Uh, Mark 2.21, the un unshrunk cloth being sown onto a garment. Those are all little mini parables, little versions uh, of these stories that uh, Jesus uses to tell us a spiritual truth using an everyday example. Uh, and I like this. I like this because I, I'm not 
you know, I resonate with stories. If someone tells me a story, I remember it better. It's uh, something that I feel I can apply to. It's like, yeah, yeah, I see that happening in my life, and, and you know, I can, I can understand that. I, I can resonate with that. So I like this practice, um, and I, I think many of us would uh, indeed like it. But one thing that we do need to remember is that parables are not allegory. They're not allegorical. And what I mean by that is when you look at a parable, and you see all the different elements of the story. Not every single element of the story has a meaning. It's not to say that, you, you know, uh, in, in this parable about the sower, that uh, every little tiny element has this big spiritual meaning behind it. More, the parables are about a bigger general message. And a lot of the, the details that we see in them actually don't really mean anything. We can almost... Uh, skip over them, let them just build the story for us, but there is a main point that is made using parables. So that, I say that just to sort of fend off this idea of we need to try and harvest every single word, every tiny phrase to make some big spiritual meaning. Uh, uh, you, you can try to do that, but I don't think that's what parables are. They're not allegorical. So, we see that today Jesus gives the first longer parable, and it is quite a long parable, and it's the first time that we see Mark showing how Jesus actually explains the parable. And he says that it's an important parable. Jesus alludes to this idea that this parable, if you, if you don't get this one, well, then the rest of them you're not going to really be getting either. And I wondered, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, but how? How does this parable in specific, and we'll see as we read over it, but how does this one act as this key for us to understand the other stories and parables that Jesus tells us. And I think in this one we see something that is crucial, and it's this idea that will carry through this truth through all the other parables, and it is that the condition of the human heart is, in a way, very flawed. And that some people are going to be drawn in by the stories that Jesus tells, while others are not going to respond at all. They're just going to either shrug it off or just disagree with it completely. So that's the idea, and we're going to see that in this parable, and that type of idea carries through to the rest of the parables. The parables show the reason why Jesus was opposed by the religious leaders and others, and misunderstood by even his own relations, was the spiritual condition of their hearts. So observation number one is that parables expose the condition of the heart. Let's carry on reading. Verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen. So this is again big. Last week we saw the same type of language. He says, listen. It's like, stop what you're doing. Zone in. Dial in. i got something important to say. I need you to listen to me. He says, behold, a sower, that is a farmer, don't need to get many translations use the word just farmer, went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. That is, uh, you know, if you've uh, strolled along, even out here, right outside the door here, there's, there's where, where people have been walking uh, a lot, there's this hardened ground. Uh, and, and we know that, you know, well, if you try and scatter some seeds on that, um, well, it's not going to really do much. But some seed fell along the path. We know that it's this hard ground. And the birds came up and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground. Um, <laughs> this for me is, uh, this one I can really, really resonate with. 
Uh, and for anyone who lives in Sant Bai here, you, you'll know. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like, <laughs> it's, I don't know what we call it Sant Bai. It should be more like Clip Bai or something. It's, oh man, the soil sucks. But uh, I know you, you, got, you know, weeds will grow, but hey. Um, I don't think you're going to be using <laughs> the fields here uh, to try and grow these amazing crops. And we know why, because it's, it's shallow. It's, uh, there's a bit of sand, but there's stones everywhere. And you know, things just aren't going to sit well and have space for their roots to really dig in and, and get a good hold there. So that's the rocky ground, uh, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns. Um, that's pretty simple. We know there's weeds and these thorny weeds um, that are around. And some of the seeds fell among those kind of plants. And the thorns grew up and choked it out. And, yielded, and it yielded no grain. So, you know, if you have a little plant that accidentally somehow starts growing among weeds and stuff, and maybe the weeds growing at the same pace at first, um, weeds just seem to... Uh, be well, horrible things, but they grow quicker. And eventually, the little plant that you're trying to cultivate is just overrun, unless you are harvesting out these weeds and getting rid of them and tending to that garden. But just left to itself, weeds seem to really crowd out things. So that's what he's saying. The weeds will have that kind of effect, uh, the thorns. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So why does Jesus use this specific kind of example? Well, you have this society in uh, first century Jerusalem and, and preceding and after that, where, and up until very recently still, and maybe around here we're more like this, um, is it's an agrarian society. People are uh, familiar with farming practices. Now, if you go back to uh, Joburg, where... Uh, I'm originally from, uh, the idea of farming is something quite foreign, <laughs> very seldom uh, with the guys that I grew up at school with, would they have any kind of real knowledge about, you know, what a farm looks like, what any kind of farming practices are, but around here, you know, we've got the, uh, the wine farms and uh, many, many other kinds of farms, uh, so we're used to this idea of farming, and in Jesus' time, the guys, it was a farming type community, they were subsistence people. Um, and they grew their own crops. So this, this picture that he gives them of this parable would have been like right there in their minds. They would have been like, yeah, yeah, no, we, we get that. You need, you need the good soil. You're not just going to be tossing your seeds around onto this uh, hard soil or onto the path. I mean, who throws their seeds onto the path? You know it's hard. You know that you need the good soil. You need the deep soil. You need the nutrient-rich soil, the, the soil that's been tilled and turned. And when you have that kind of soil, and you put your, your seeds into that kind of soil, then something good is going to grow. It's like... Well, why is he even telling the story? Everyone knows that. So that's a kind of, it's a key there. Jesus paints this vivid picture using this story, this parable, of what preaching the gospel is like. And he explains that there's different results that will come. And that the sower, the one who's sowing the seed, the one who's preaching this gospel, is indiscriminate. So what I mean by that is the one who's, who's sowing the seed isn't going only to, the, to what he knows is the good soil. He's saying, no, I'm going to equally sow, sow, sow these seeds out to all the different kinds of soils, um, you know, to be fair, in a way. And I've, you know, there's many 
commentators who would say, well, you know, the, the, the sower should have been more uh, disciplined. He should have only sown in the good ground. That, that's, I think, a little bit off the, the track of <laughs> trying to interpret this parable properly. Some guys, I don't think that's it. The point is that there's this sower, that there's this uh, preaching of God's word that goes out to everyone. Uh, and then it increased, uh, the, when it hit the good soil, it increased 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Uh, in this farming society that was uh, around in Jesus' time, a good yield would have been 8 to 1. That's, that's not great. That's, that's uh, a lot lower than this 30, 60, 100-fold. Where if you had a harvest of 10 to 1 ratio, man, that would have been really, really good. So when these guys are hearing Jesus telling the story about, you know, there's this good soil, and when the seeds were planted in that soil, they, the yield that you got was 30-fold, was 60-fold, and even 100-fold. They would have been like, okay, what is the story about? Because that's foreign to me. I don't know. I've never seen that. So it like pricks their ears. They're saying, oh, man, okay. Well, what is the story about? What, what kind of crop would it be? What kind of seed would it be that would be able to yield this kind of return. He says, he who has ears, and pretty simply, if you ask the question, well, who could that be? Um, it's every single person. Whoever has an ear, let him hear. And everyone has that ear, so everyone is there to hear. Again, it's indiscriminate. It's saying, like, everyone who has ears must hear this message. All the different kinds of ground are going to be, uh, uh, going to receive the seed. And as, it, uh, as that happens, it'll become clear what kind of ground it is. It'll be clear who is actually listening instead of just hearing. So that's observation number two, is that hearing must become listening. There's a difference there. Hearing is maybe a, a passive thing where you know there's sound, but it's not being translated. You're not understanding it. You're not listening to it. You're not uh, grappling with it and perceiving it. So it's a call to be attentive to what is being said, a call to understand what is being said and to perceive it. That is to let it impact your intellect. Let it sink into the heart and let it enrich the soul. But what I really, really like about this, the way Jesus ends this parable, is that it doesn't end on us dwelling on like, oh, well, what kind of soil, what kind of soil? Jesus ends on a positive note. He says, well, when it hits this good soil, oh, man, it's going to be... 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. There's going to be this amazing crop and this this positive end. And so, you know, there's, there's this harvest for those who would follow Jesus. There's this, this increase in fruit for those who are following Jesus. And it's a, pro a promise to encourage us, not just to warn us and sober us. So, let's carry on. And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay, next verses. No, kidding. <laughs> That's what I want to do with those verses. <laughs> oh, man, Jesus, what are you saying? 
it is a, it's tough. Um, and, you know, in my research for this weekend, there, there were a few times where I would read over commentaries and, um, from different guys, and this just didn't come up. They really focused on the parable uh, that is preceding these verses and after these, this, these few verses, um, but they didn't really grapple with this because it's a mystery. And it's something that is really hard to get our heads around. Like, Jesus, what are you saying? Lest they would turn and be forgiven. There are some options with what to do with these verses. The first one is just to leave it out. Just just skip it. Just go, uh, okay, Jesus, you know, you are God. You know what's going on. This is a mystery. I'm just going to skip over it and uh, pull out the good bits, the juicy bits from this parable. Uh, Number two, we can highlight that mystery. And Wade sent me a little, uh, a little quote this week, and I thought it just sums up the way that I want to respond to this. It's, as usual, Mark does not attempt to explain the mystery. He merely records it. That's Alan Cole. And that's, that's brilliant. And so many times we have that in the Gospels. It's like, and Jesus did this. And we're like, yeah, okay, well, what does that mean? Where do you go from there? What do I do with that? Um, sadly, Mark doesn't elaborate much for us. But... That said, we can grapple with it in some ways. We can look into the context. We can look at the other passages, uh, especially Matthew, and we can look at the verse to see, well, where does it come from and why does Jesus use this uh, verse? Because it's not just something he says. He's actually quoting Isaiah 6 in that passage. So I'm not going to turn there and read it, but if you go to Matthew 13 from verse 11, you can make a note of that. Um, that's the parallel passage for this, um, this parable. The disciples in that passage, they actually come to Jesus and ask, you know, what's going on? What's, what's happening with this uh, parable? Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? Why don't you just come out and plainly say what it is that you want to say? And, well, he, he answers them there. And basically, one, one cool observation about that is that the, the, the disciples had a soft heart in a way because they, they, they saw something going on here. They, they wanted to know, okay, well, number one, what's going on in the parable, but also why are you teaching people using these kinds of stories? And in verse 13 of, of Matthew 13, it says, that's why I speak to them in parables, because they look but don't see, and they listen but don't hear or understand. That's, that's Jesus talking a, a bit of an explanation about why he uses the parables. That's why I speak to them in parables, because they look but don't see, and they listen but don't hear or understand. Now, this is hard, and honestly, I'm not that sure what to make with what Jesus is saying, and it is in many, many ways a mystery. But for the disciples sitting there um, listening to Jesus, they might have been thinking to themselves, well, you know, we don't understand what's going on. What's the implication for us? Um, are we in? Are we out? Uh, if we don't understand, you know, like, so what now? What for us? But I don't think it ends. It's, it's that the, the disciples coming to Jesus and actually asking him what is going on with these parables. You know, we see something in them. We don't completely understand it. That shows the softness of heart. And it might seem strange to us that they didn't understand this, but often what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus would do a teaching, the guys would be confused, and he'd let them linger in that for a while. He'd just let them dwell in their confusion, which is a good thing. It's fine. And he, he leaves them wondering about the meaning of the parable for a while before 
he actually explains it to me. And we'll get into that a bit, but the, essentially, this parable is all about the heart. Even in what Jesus is saying, he's highlighting the condition of the human heart in being able to see the kingdom of God, to be able to see the things of the kingdom and perceive them or not. And there's the context that I mentioned. The context helps us really to understand it. And Jesus quoting Isaiah 6, which says, with them, this is uh, Isaiah 6, that's the verse, but he says, with them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This is um, Jesus' talk from Matthew, which says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never comprehend. For this people's heart has become dull and their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so that they might not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Now if you read that, it really helps make sense of what Jesus actually is saying in Mark's gospel when he quotes that. Because he he quotes uh, the longer text when when Matthew records it. And this is, the, if you look at Isaiah 6, if you go there and you read through it in the context, what it's talking about is a people whose, heart, uh, whose hearts are already hardened towards God, towards the things of God. They're rejecting God already. They're saying, well, we don't, we don't need him. We don't, we don't want to follow him. And it's talking about the Israelites in Isaiah 6. And we're turning away. We're continually turning away. And that was the point of Isaiah. He comes to you know, wake them up and say, hey, no, no, God is here. God is the God of the Israelites, and he loves you, and he's, he's pursuing you, and you need to repent and turn from your sin and come to God. But you're not doing it. Why? Because your hearts are hard, and you're rejecting God. But if you did come, you know, I, I, I would turn and heal you. So the point that we're seeing Jesus make, and, and it's, it's a good one, is that if you're those people whose hearts are hardened already, they're not going to even want to hear the parable. They're not going to even want to start understanding what's going on. So, observation number three. In spite of all of their looking and listening, some people will never really see or understand. If they did, they would turn to God for forgiveness. Isaiah was describing this hard-hearted people who had turned their back on God, stubbornly refusing to listen to him. And in Jesus' time, as Jesus is sitting there in that boat, preaching this parable, people in that crowd there were doing the same. Their hearts were hard. They didn't want to hear it. And today is the same still. There are many people, and you would know this if you've been out and and spoken to people about Jesus and shared your faith with them in in any kind of way, really. You know that there are people who would reject that. They would Oppose that. That's, you know, that's nice for you that you have your faith, but uh, that's not really for me. Or, you know, hasn't, hasn't science kind of disproved God? Do we really need that in this day and age? Or, you know, uh, that's all cool, but I'm, I'm more into like just a general spirituality, and everyone has love, and God's in every single little, uh, little thing, and, and we, we just have to love each other, and that's the biggest thing. But don't come to me with your Bible and your, your rules and, and this Jesus and all of that. All of those are examples of how people resist, who they've hardened their hearts already. So no matter what you bring to them, you may explain it so clearly to them. You may answer all of their questions well, and they would still say, no, you know, not for me. 
and they would just turn. But if they changed, if they said, okay, no, no, there is something in what you're saying, I, 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 I want to come and hear more about that, this, I think, is where God is saying, well, then I would turn and heal them. But there is this element of people hardening their hearts and then just being stuck in that no matter what happens. Concerning this, this piece of the passage, uh, John MacArthur, who I really respect as a Bible teacher, he says, the mystery is explained to those on the inside who are those who believe in Jesus. Uh, the mystery is not explained to those on the outside, those who reject Jesus. But the implication here is not that he is hiding it so that they don't turn, otherwise what would be the point of any of the parables, but that they will not turn because of their hearts being hard, and they don't want to turn away from their sin. They're happy in their sin. I think that's really what, the, what Jesus is saying. This is why he puts this in the middle of the parable. He, he gives this great story that they would have understood, um, but then in the middle he says, but some of you, you know, hard hearts, you're just going to reject it. Is this the whole story uh, in terms of these last few passages? I, I think there's still some mystery there, but in a way I think this is really what Jesus is saying for the most part. But what is clear for us? Um, well, there's a few things that I think we must do off the back of these things uh, so far. Just in hearing Jesus give this warning about the hard-hearted people and quoting Isaiah, we can take that and say, okay, well, I see that. What is it that I must do? And the first one is that we must open our eyes. And we must open our eyes continually to see what God is doing. The second is that we must hear with our ears. That is to be obedient to God's commands. Third would be to understand with our hearts so that they would be tender and affectionate towards a gracious and loving God. And fourth would be to turn. That is to turn away from sin and turn toward God, toward Jesus and towards the cross. And this is repentance. If, if, you, if you don't know what the word repentance means, it basically is a, it's a turning. And when you turn away from something, you're turning to something else. If I'm facing you guys and I turn away from you, I'm not facing you anymore. I'm facing something else. That's what the idea is with sin. And what God says, no, turn from that and don't turn to something else, this side or that side. Turn to me. God says, turn to me. Turn away from your sin. Turn to me. That is essentially the life of the Christian. And it's hard in many, many ways. But God gives us the grace to do this, gives us the power to do this, to say, firstly, I will, I will show you what it is that I want you to be. I will show you through my word the way I want you to live, the way that I want you to uh, uh, glorify me. And I will empower you with my spirit to do that. Turn away from your sin and turn to me. And Jesus is faithful and true. For us to turn to him in humility, he will be faithful to his word and heal us. But from the passage that we see, what is it that we are to actually turn from? Because that still seems pretty vague. Like, what must we turn from? And Jesus gives an explanation of that in the next verses. So we're going to read these and make a couple of observations, and then we'll close in the next, uh, let's see, we'll do this in eight minutes. The sower sows the word, that is the gospel, the truth of the kingdom, and of grace through placing our faith in Jesus Christ uh, for forgiveness and for our salvation. That is what the word is over there. And these are 
the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So, I'll encourage you to go back uh, when you get home, read this parable again. Read the whole thing and make the connection yourself of what the, what the picture is in the first part and then what Jesus explains it is. But essentially, we see four types of ground, as we've spoken about already. But only one of them is the one that would produce any kind of fruit. The first is the hard path. It's those people who like the hard path would just shrug off the, the message. They would hear the word, they'd just shrug it off and they'd say, you know what, I don't need that. I don't even believe in God. Of, of course there's no fruit there. And many of us know people like that. The second is the rocky ground, the sunt by soil. That is where the gospel never takes root in their lives. They're always drifting in and out. They, they, they would respond and say, oh yeah, that's good, but oh, you know, and then back and forth, back and forth. Never showing and, and really being committed to following Jesus in their lives. And they would resist that, uh, they would resist letting Christ change their hearts. And when troubles come in life, they quickly fall away and even blame God when they're being tested. And then there's those that fell among uh, the thorns. Those are those who are preoccupied with temporal issues, with the worries of the world and the temptations of the world. And th this one for me, I think, is what we really see a lot in our, in our culture. You get those who just off the bat, they say, no, 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 I don't, you know, I don't even believe in God. I don't want any part of that. You know, go, you go play church with your friends. Not for me. Of course, that's, we see that as like an absolute hardening of their hearts toward the things of God. But this is a bit more, more tricky. These among the thorns. Um, we see this so much. Money, success, good to think money is a good thing, but when money is your focus and, and you'd rather pursue that than giving up on something else to, to honor God, well, then money is, you're going to be choked out. You, that's going to distract you from really following God. Success is a good thing. There's, you know, to, to do well at your job, to do well in raising your children, to do well in, in being part of your, your church even. But if that, if that thing is ultimate to you, it can distract you from actually seeing God and praising God and turning to God. Uh, what people think of them. If, people, if, you, if you, you have some friends and they say, okay, well, you know, that, it's kind of weird that you go to church. Do you really feel that you need to go there? Um, you know, maybe even mocking or... Or, and, and you feel a bit awkward because you know, like, oh, yeah, you're a Christian, but you know, now I feel weird sharing it because these guys, they, they think it's a bit strange. And that then pulls you away. Uh, security, comfort, happiness, good things. But when we pursue those things above 
what God wants, then in many ways we are deceived and, and, and our, our focus is taken away from God. These things are not only deceptive and false promises, but ultimately blind those who strive for them from those things of spiritual concern. So we see those three soils. None of them is described as bearing any fruit. The fourth is the good soil. It's those who hear the word, who accept the word, and obey the word. And through that, they are continually uh, being edified. They're being built up in their minds, and their hearts are continually being opened, and their lives are continually being transformed. And, and just three ways that we would see that transformation, that fruit of 30, 60, and 100-fold is a true and lasting joy, even in the face of hardship, even in the face of poverty, even in the face of death and struggle. We'd see effectiveness for God. We'd see when they really are, are, are um, accepting that word and, and letting God transform them. We see them becoming useful in God's kingdom to be a light wherever they are in their, in their homes, in their workspace, in their communities. And we see just more spiritual fruit. We see um, a better uh, life of prayer, a better time of communion with God, and, and just an all-round spiritual fruit increase. So some things to think about uh, this week as we look at those different kinds of soils. Um, and let me just say, when we read this in, in context, Jesus is talking about the people there, and he makes a distinction between those who are in and those who are out, in a way. But for us today as Christians, we, we know that, yes, we are the good soil. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have heard that there is this forgiveness on offer, that he says you are stuck and you are, in your sins you are pretty much dead, but I offer you grace, I offer you life. If you are someone who's seen that and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know that, okay, well, no, no, you are in that fourth category. You are in the good soil. You are the good soil. But in many ways, we can look at these other three types and we can look at our lives and do an assessment in a way and say, okay, well, you know, there's this part of my life, there's this thing where I am continually hardened, where um, maybe I am, although I'm saved and I believe, uh, maybe I have let money become such a distraction that I'm pursuing it so hard that I've forgotten about the things of God, that I've, I've actually elevated that pursuit of success and happiness and security above God. It's, it's a warning that we can also apply to ourselves today. It's this idea of Scripture being this mirror, and when you read the Scripture, it holds up the mirror to your face, and you see yourself and you see, you know, you know I am, I'm still broken. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. But that I was thinking about earlier, and that, I love that, that image of the mirror because it's just so true. When you think you've got it all together, you know, just go read the Bible. You'll understand you don't. But when you flip that mirror around, it's almost written on the back of that mirror is in Christ. As much as you lift up that mirror and it shows you the, the, the struggles that you have and that your heart is still flawed, when you turn it around and read in Christ on the back, it's talking about you. If you are someone who has come to faith in Christ, all of those failures, all of those struggles are looked over. They've been, they've been dealt with by Christ on the cross. And that is what goes hand in hand with Scripture convicting and encouraging, but all through the lens of you are in Christ. So, things to think about this week. Are you good soil? 
Um, you need to let the scriptures and the truth of Jesus' words search your heart and soul and turn to him again and again as is the life of the Christian, a life of turning and repenting. Uh, ask yourself maybe the question of where is my heart hardened? Where am I letting things in life make me become hardened? Um, and the more I don't bring them to my friends, the more I don't bring them to those who are in Christ, those people who can pastor and shepherd me, the more I don't bring these things toward God, bring, like commit them to Him, they're hardening, hardening me more and more. What are those things that might be in my life? And where do you see fruit in your life? Jesus ends on a positive note, and I think we should as well. There, to, 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 to say that, yes, I'm not perfect and I'm struggling is true and right, and Jesus says that of all of us. But also he says, there is fruit. There is 30-fold, there is 60-fold, there is 100-fold. Where do you see God has worked in your life to move you from a place where you didn't want to be to a place where you are now bearing fruit, where you are feeling God work in your life? See those things and be, be so thankful to Him for them because there's grace in all of those. He offers us grace upon grace upon grace. Father God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it, it challenges us in so many ways, that it, it points out the state of our own hearts. And I pray that each of us, Lord, would read this parable and let it search our souls. Let it search and show us uh, where we're still struggling. Um, not, not so that we would feel guilted or feel that, you know, what, I need to do more works to earn favor with God. We know that that's not the case. We know that you have offered grace, Lord, and we can receive that when we put our faith in Jesus. And that's not for only those who've never done that, but it's for us who are followers of your Son, Lord. I pray that we would be able to see, you would give us the eyes to see where we can um, perhaps bring things to you, bring things to our friends and family, and that we would do that, Lord. That would only be to your glory. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.